Okay, so we're back for another uh, bit of political OD. An election's been called. Uh, we delayed this by a week because we we weren't certain last week of how things were going to develop in those busy few first days. Um, but we now know, uh, at least in Northern Ireland, there's going to be at least one new uh, MP, and that's in Upper Ban. So David Simpson has announced today that he'll be stepping down um, to spend more time with his family. So I, I don't think that that puts the, the seat in, in play, no. uh, really, David, at all. But um, thinking about who might replace him, Carla Lockhart is an MLA in Upper Ban who is quite a, a high profile within the DUP and has been doing a lot of things in terms of media and in terms yeah. of their conference and everything. So I, th I think you're with 40, 43 and a half, 44% of the vote in Westminster. I think we have to remember this is first past the post. So these, you know, it's going to be a different election no matter what happens mm. to an assembly election. Uh, but we've got 43% down there for the DUP. Uh, the also units at 15%, no one really going to come through unless there's something dramatic in that seat. The other seat that there might not be much difference in, but it's, but uh, certainly Steve Aiken, I uh, believe there was going to be a good chance, is South Antrim, uh, where Danny Kinnan had once held that seat uh, briefly for the Ulster Unionist Party uh, after a long period of being held uh, by the DUP. Um, but I don't see much change there, uh, largely because Danny Cannon was uh, won the seat against William McRae, uh, whose Westminster vote was going down as fast as the overall DUP assembly vote was going up. Um, and in Gurman, I think he they just got a, a a candidate who's been a steady constituency MP who will carry through their. Yeah. Almost 40% vote? Well, the theory, I suppose, is that Danny Kinnan has name recognition and has done it before and is therefore a strong candidate, and that may well be true. Um, I think his previous, when he relied upon bringing in a lot of uh, Alliance voters, maybe even a few SDLP voters as well, strategically, to get rid of um, William McRae, who was unpopular with a, a section of yeah. the electorate, whether he can replicate that um, against Gervin is maybe uh, is is maybe less likely that so the the seat is as kind of it looks like it's been stabilised yeah. for the DUP. Then again, it is an interesting seat in a sense because it's one of the few seats where the the DUP and the Ulster Unionists are are both relatively strong. And if there is going to be a change towards the Ulster Unionists, that's a seat where they would need to perform strongly. Uh, yes, they are. I mean, the Alliance Party there, even if you add the Alliance Party and all students votes together, they still wouldn't be as many as... They'd still be, it'd be about evens with the DUP. Mm. That's not necessarily going to happen. Uh, as you say, it's one of those that it's a safe seat for unionism, so it's going to be a, a, a bellwether in terms of the relative strengths of the party. Yes, well, there's no... For, for, from that perspective, there's no particular risk in shifting from one unionist candidate no. to another for, for unionist voters, if that's the way that they view things. The first agreed seat uh, to be announced uh, from a unionist perspective was, of course, the Man of South Tyrone. Tom has got a, 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 you know, there are only a few votes in it, but I think Tom still has, you know, a big hill to climb to, to pull that seat back from Michelle Gilderman. 
Yeah, there was always a there was a kind of a feeling that um, Tom Elliott had upset the odds to win that seat in the first place. The way that things have uh, have hardened and, and views have hardened, you would imagine that that Sinn Féin vote will um, will harden in Fermanagh South Tyrone as well. And again, with the series of um, pacts and understandings that have that have emerged, um, you would imagine that there'll be less disincentive for SDLP voters to come out and, and, and vote Republican in that uh, seat. But, but Sinn Féin, I think we have to remember going into this election, and, and maybe come back to this, Sinn Féin have not been performing well electorally. Uh, down south, they lost half their, well, they lost two European seats. Um, they lost half their councillors. Um, they didn't really perform particularly well in the northern election for European Parliament uh, and the council elections were a bit lacklustre. So uh, the, the question is, in Fermanagh South Tyrone, where, where Antu might have a bit of extra strength, might that vote? Uh, because, of course, uh, Tom Elliott might be a bit more uh, leaning towards the, the pro-life side of the argument. Antu, even if they abstained, might just tip that balance down there. Yeah, it, it's an interesting it's an interesting point. I suppose we'll just have to wait and see what happens. But it it will be it will be one of those battleground seats, and I suppose in the end the 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 result will be within a few thousand votes, if not in yeah. hundreds. So it it's going to be a, a really interesting one to keep watching. But um, yeah, I my, my instinct at the moment is that uh, Tom Elliott just won't have enough. Yeah, I think I think then we we have to move into then the the the, the cities as it were, um, and I suppose we need to start with Steve Aiken's uh, remarkable policy on the hoof of of standing in all eighteen seats, uh, which quite quickly uh, was shattered uh, by having to stand back in North Belfast, largely I think because there was barely a unionist in North Belfast that wanted to see Nigel Dodds lose, particularly against uh, Afanugan, uh, which is regarded as, I, I think, as, as Republican royalty, um, and therefore mm. someone that, that would be unpalatable to just about every unionist in the, in the seat. It was a disastrous start for the Ulster Unionists to the campaign for a new leader who would, would uh, have been wanting to make an impression, and uh, he couldn't have really made a, a bigger hymns of it if he'd tried. He, first of all, he, he sort of misjudged the the unionist sentiment in, in North Belfast and made this announcement uh, and then did a, a U-turn and, and after he'd performed the U-turn he sort of gave a number of kind of contradictory uh, accounts of, of why he'd done that. You know, what, what was it due to so-called intimidation of staff? Was it because he'd consulted with the wider community or was it because he decided in the end that an abstentionist MP was something that he couldn't support? He kind of hinted at all of those things um, and it gave the impression that you know he, he was forced into this rather than uh, making the decision from um, uh, through his own agency. I, I think at the, at the base of it I can't imagine him having found a candidate who would be prepared to stand in that seat yep. simply because it would be in the end of any political career any of them would have had if, if Dodds had lost. So 
uh, I think that that's very difficult. There have been calls about East Belfast signing down East Belfast and South Belfast. Frankly, in East Belfast, I don't see it making a great deal of difference because uh, you've got Gavin Robinson there. Uh, Westminster election last uh, over almost 56% of the vote. Um, uh, the UUP on 3.3%. Standing down or not standing down, I think Gavin is going to take that regardless. Um, you know, every other every other person that didn't vote for Gavin last time would have to vote for Naomi Long, uh, and she still wouldn't win a fifty six percent vote. That's another one of those seats where there's been a precedent in in sort of recent memory that the the, the um, competing candidate has won the seat, but it was in very different circumstances, yeah. and again, it was on the back of a kind of a, a campaign against Peter Robinson where he his yeah. popularity was, was going down. So you just can't see it, especially uh, given that Gavin Robinson's been quite closely involved with a lot of the the, the kind of campaigns to, to maintain industry in, in East Belfast. So I think again, we'll come back to South Belfast, but again, in South Belfast, you're only looking at a few percentage votes for the for the Unionists. So that's not going to really, um, I think, given what's happened in over the past few days. I don't think that's going to make a big difference in South Belfast. So what wasn't talked about at the weekend uh, was what was going to happen in North Down, uh, which had Sylvia Herman, we now know Sylvia Herman isn't standing, but had she been standing, would have left Steve Aitken in another pickle because standing against her would have most definitely lost a Remain seat. Yes, uh, I think that was... For certain, if the Ulster Unionists had stood with um, with Sylvia Herman standing as well, the seat would have gone to the DUP. There's an argument that it probably still will go to the DUP, but the Ulster Unionists um, can at least claim, claim to be competitive in that seat because they've come second in the Assembly elections. I'm not sure there's any obvious Remain candidate emerging in that seat other than... Stephen Farry, but will the will the other parties back him? Well, I think the the other parties, uh, that is the Ulster Unionist Alliance and the Greens, all have a pretty solid base in North Down. Ulster Unionist got twenty one percent in the assembly election, even though it was a dreadful assembly election. The Alliance Party got eighteen percent. The Greens got fourteen percent. Those are all relatively high percentages. We know, of course, the Alliance Party are going to stand. The question is. Do other parties fall in behind the alliance? Steve Aiken cannot possibly not stand in North Down. It really looks as if that 21%, much of which should hold in North Down, will probably make sure that there's a DUP candidate who wins that seat. I think it's absolutely certain that the Ulster Unionists will stand. The only question now is uh, where does... Sylvia Herman, Herman's vote go. Um, because the Ulster Unionists haven't stood there previously, you have to assume that a good percentage of, of her vote was Ulster Unionist supporters. Yeah, and if there's a candidate, and she'll know the, the people in North Down, if there's a candidate there that she knows well, they may well get her at least I, I think the, placid endorsement. Alan Chambers is um, a candidate who springs to mind, who I think has been close enough to, to Sylvia Herman in, in the in the past, so will she give him an endorsement explicitly or implicitly? That um, 
remains to be seen. And what does the SDLP and Sinn Féin do? Because they, of course, jumped the gun by saying they would stand aside for Sylvia Herman, uh, who is not now standing. So they're left now either having to put up a candidate or standing down for who or what? Well, they, they look a little bit silly because they've stood aside for a candidate who, it turns out, uh, isn't standing. We're just left with the question, you know, what was that um, a genuine endorsement or were they just looking for an excuse to stand down in yeah, a constituency as, as we, where they weren't strong? Yeah, and as we talked earlier, perhaps just, you know, saving their deposits because Together, they don't make up much more than two, max three percent of the vote in that constituency anyway. Yeah, absolutely. They're more or less irrelevant to the result. I think the, the, the point about, uh, and I think it's the underlying point about Steve Aitken's position, is has, has to some extent also been mirrored with the SDLP. You know, this was an election that, in real terms, the most that either party could hope for would have been one seat. Uh, none of which are in the contentious seats. The underlying point here for Steve Aitken is that it was an election where he was never going to perhaps win more than one seat and therefore it should have been a position coming in as a new leader where he at least would have got his messages through in a strong, clear and coherent manner that would set set him and his party up for the next assembly election which is much more fluid and that's what he really should be naming up. Similarly, the SDLP seem to have not exactly created themselves with a crown of glory in, in, in this approach to, to the Westminster election. Colm Eastwood um, has of course made a big play in, in, in Derry about being the MP that will turn up. He has supported the withdrawal of a candidate in North Belfast, supporting an MP who won't (laughs) turn up. The fact is that by the Sinn Féin withdrawing in the three seats they have, as you say, two of those seats were, frankly, it makes no consequence whether they stand or don't stand. But in South Belfast, it's most likely that their votes will carry Claire Hanna across into... Uh, her her seat, uh, because even with the green vote attaching to the SDLP vote, uh, you're, you're only just ahead of the DUP if the DUP didn't put on any votes at all. So that was a really tight seat, but the 7,000 votes that were there last time for Sinn Féin will make the difference for Claire Hanna. Um, and, and Sinn Féin know that, I'm absolutely sure, in their strategic head. And they will be able to say to Claire Hanley, you are only in there on our votes. Never, the SDLP will not be allowed to forget that that seat is due to Sinn Féin votes. And anything Sinn Féin does is never altruistic. Yeah. There's a debt and that debt will be demanded from the SDLP in the future. It's- it's very difficult to um, to see a DUP win in that seat, the way that the numbers stack up. And yes, you're right because Claire Hanna, in terms of so, in terms of you know some of the SDLP candidates, uh, she's a fairly undivisive figure, and she comes across quite well, and many unionists quite like her. Um, but now she will always be seen as a candidate who has got in on the strength of uh, Sinn Féin votes, and she'll find that. 
a difficult position and a difficult um, and, and, and it'll create difficulties for the party going forward in the, in that constituency. I, so, I think it's sad. I, I think Claire Hannah was better than that. I, I think there would be a broad acceptance that she will be a good MP for everyone. Uh, but that Sinn Féin vote is going to hang over her head and in the context where she'll win, it's going to be a very poor win. Uh, and I think that gives difficulty for Colm Eastwood up in Londonderry because he is going to have uh, a tough fight up there. But if he has endorsed John Finucan in North Belfast and said it's okay to be abstentionist, his whole strategy of saying, I want to be a voice for people uh, in, in, in Westminster gets undermined in, in the city. And because of that, Finucan, it's not going to encourage those unionists who used to vote for Mark Durkin. Colin Eastwood has a problem attracting those votes. This is going to, you know, the, the agreement in Belfast is going to harm Colin Eastwood in London, no doubt. Yeah, I, actually on that point, I noticed the story in the newsletter this morning with um, Gary Middleton, the DUP MLA yeah. up there, uh, pretty much saying that in the eyes of unionists now that there wasn't really much difference between the SDLP and Sinn Féin after um, what's happened in, in North Belfast and, and uh, South Belfast. So that will present a problem for Colm Eastwood because he is relying on yeah. unionist uh, votes to get him over the line there. And again, the SLP in, in, in South Belfast, Foyle and in, in uh, South Down to a certain extent, had often relied on on the indifference of unionists mm. and the willingness to accept that if they didn't vote, an SDLP candidate would probably win. Uh, that's not that is not happening in these elections. That's why they lost in twenty seventeen, and they don't seem to have learned that lesson. I mean, I I suppose the only thing that I would add to that is if you were perhaps if you were being a devil's advocate and um, looking back past this, the, 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 these pacts and things that have come up in the recent in recent days, maybe that trend had already started because um, you know the, the SDLP after the Brexit referendum have very much put themselves in the position of trying to affect constitutional change um, and, and, and supporting a, a border in the Irish Sea and everything else. So they'd already gone partially down that route and now they're going further down that route. Yeah, I, I, I think the, the nationalism is, is certainly making this a Brexit election. To some extent, um, I think that's the 2017 election all over again because mm. the debate in the rest of the country, in the rest of the UK, has really moved on from there. Uh, I mean, the, you, you basically now have the discussion over uh, Boris deal or something vague being offered by Labour, which no one can quite put a pin in. Uh, you know, that, the election in, in, over in the UK uh, is certainly going to be about whether or not everybody's fed up enough with Brexit to go for Boris and go for a deal now and get that over with and get back to running the country. Yep. Um, do you sense that there is going to be um, an impatience that will perhaps play well to, to, uh, for Boris? He, he's going to go out there and essentially he's going to say that we want to get this deal done and the deal isn't going to be particularly scrutinised during the campaign. No, I think, I, I think the, the difficulty over, over 
Brexit is, of course, we don't really know what Boris's deal will mean uh, for the country, particularly for Northern Ireland. Uh, I think uh, uh, just before Parliament closed down, the initial discussions were being had around uh, Boris's deal. Uh, you had different ministers give different views on exactly what that was going to mean practically uh, for businesses in Northern Ireland, and that seemed to be a very uh, you know, we're having a debate now, about, you know, the nationalism is having a debate about Brexit. What they should be saying is, what are the factors that are going to impact most uh, with Boris's deal? And exactly how are we going to campaign to minimise and, and to deal with those, deal with the realities rather than an argument for 2017? Well, you feel that one of the reasons perhaps that the election was called in the first place was so that the discussion into uh, what had actually been uh, agreed was going to close and that it didn't, um, it didn't get too deep. It, it, you're, yes, you're right, it didn't seem that his ministers really understood what was in the deal. And um, you know that the, there was this kind of drip drip of of effects that it would have on, on Northern Ireland: the tariff barrier, the regulatory checks, the uh, the VAT, the VAT situation. Uh, situation where we were perhaps our or our VAT system was going to be aligned <laughs> more with the Republic of Ireland. That that was um, a kind of a contentious point. But the, the, the from a Northern Ireland perspective, what we can say is it's not just enough. Uh, for ministers as they've kind of tried to imply that we iron this up out over the next two years that we uh, kind of finesse this deal um, during the transition uh, period or, or, or while we negotiate a trade deal because that's not going to work these things the elements of uh, Boris's deal which is so alarming to unionists is the fact that it's um, an end point and not something like the backstop that was going to that that was seen as as an insurance policy or something that could fall away. Well, I don't think I, I think the the difficulty for Unis was the backstop was never let's face it the backstop was never going to fall away. No, that was contended, uh, but yeah. at least there was the pretext. And and at least you know th there is a small mercy in 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 Boris's deal at least keeping us within the customs union, mm. uh, and that is a marginal uh, improvement on May's deal. But about the only marginal improvement, I think in England and uh, Scotland, Wales, I think you know, there there are many people now who had supported Brexit broadly. They may not have supported May's deal. Maybe Boris's deal isn't so different. Um, but they'll take an attitude of let's get this over and then let's keep fighting. You know uh, that that Brexit is never was never going to be a single event that it was going to be a long process mm. and the untangling was going to take a while. So process rather than event, uh, let's get on, get the deal, uh, let's get out of the EU and then let's sort out uh, how we're all going to manage that. This, yes, the, the, there's a, a sense that the deal is enough for now and although um, Nigel Farage is articulating the kind of purest view that um, this isn't Brexit as we anticipated it, and uh, there's lots of uh, issues with the deal. Um, you're seeing some of the people who would traditionally have been his supporters kind of falling in behind it, and they're saying, they're articulating this, uh, it's enough for now type of line. You know, I, I appreciate 
the, the purity of, of, of Nigel Farage's message, but I just don't think it's a message for this particular election. I think the bus has moved on or the train has moved on uh, and he is kind of standing at the station waiting for the proper train to turn on. Is the, the fact that um, the Brexit party standing in so many seats, it doesn't really seem to have gone down well with the broad mm -hmm. sweep of the, the, of, um, the population. It's because of this sense among people nationwide that they want to get Brexit done. Um, as uncomforting as that might seem from the, the Northern Irish perspective, and I'm afraid that's just an issue that we yeah. that, that we have, that people in um, in the home counties in England and, and elsewhere don't really care enough about the specifics of what it mean of what it means to us to actually allow that to affect their vote they want to get it done i think the british public are just uh bored bored and they just want it done now I, you know i don't think we're going to have a great deal more scrutiny by the end of january either of, of what this is going to mean in real terms because the election is on the 12th um i don't know how fast a queen's speech can come in but you have to have a Queen's speech, or you have to sign in as an MP. It has to be a Queen's speech. Uh, you've only got one week before Christmas, really, when they when they get back. You're going to have to have a budget. At least they don't have to debate the Queen's speech because she's just done it, and it's likely to be exactly yeah. the same Queen's speech. Uh, but you then have the budget that never happened before, which you have to have because the government has to function on a budget or a, on, on a finance bill uh, before you go forward. So you're looking at maybe... You know, we commenced in sixth if they came back after a two-week break after an election. I suspect it won't be until we commencing the thirteenth, mm. in which case there's two, three weeks for just about everything to happen, including Boris's deal to whiz its way through uh, Parliament before uh, the thirty-first of January. Yeah, well, look, the conservative argument at this election will be that we will get this done by the thirty-first of January, and that nobody else can um, can can promise yeah. resolution in that time. But yes, it is going to be such a cramped timetable that the agreement uh, or the, the the deal isn't going to get scrutiny at any point now. You suspect if it's if it's going to still be on the table by that time? Yeah, I think that discussion kind of. Uh, presumes that Boris is going to win. We've got five more weeks of this election to go, I think, just about. Um, that's a long time in politics, so uh, worth catching up perhaps before the election, uh, and then maybe a quick pre-Christmas chat about where do we go from wherever we are at that point. Okay, great. Speak to you then, David. Cheers.